You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 214, Aaron Davis and the Twin Anchors of Life in God. This is what keeps you steady in the storm, my friends. there. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. I am your host, Eric Nevins. Thank you so much for being here. It is always wonderful to have you along. We have a really great conversation today. Before I tell you about our guest, I want to just remind you, if you haven't had a chance to go out to patreon.com, to patreon.com slash halfway there and support the show, would love to have you do that. Um, if the show is meaningful to you, if you listen every week, you want to keep it going, we'd love to have just even even $5 a month helps us kind of pay for those expensive uh, kinds of things like hosting and stuff that nobody knows that podcasting requires. So we'd love to have your help on that. Um, our guest today, she is a speaker and author and a blogger. She, her latest book, the one we're going to talk about is called Seven Feasts, Finding Christ in the Sacred Celebrations of the Old Testament, which as a biblical studies uh, student, that piqued my interest. Can't wait to talk about that and hear her story. Our guest is Aaron Davis. Aaron, welcome to Halfway There. Oh, I'm so glad to be with you. It is exciting. Really great to make that connection. So uh, tell us, I give that sort of broad, you know, it's it's a lot to say you're a speaker, an author, a blogger, but like what, tell us more about where God has you right now. Sure. Nobody cares about that stuff, really. <laughs> what I want you to know is that... Uh, Married to Jason for almost 20 years. We have four little boys, 12 to two. So we got a very busy house. And uh, we both serve in full-time, we both serve in full-time ministry, which I guess every parent does, but um, we also serve on the staff of Revive Our Hearts, which is a ministry dedicated to calling women to freedom, fullness, and fruitfulness in Christ. So um, he spends his days in marketing for them. I spend my days in content creation for them ultimately just hoping to woo women to the word because that's where uh, the change happens in their lives, which of course then sends shockwaves out to homes and communities. So that's what we're doing in these busy days. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's in scripture that we meet the God of scripture, right? That's so powerful. Love that. Okay. Well, that's really great. I'd love to hear more of your story and kind of how you got here. And so let's, uh, let's go back. Are you, I know you're in Missouri, but are you from Missouri? I'm from Missouri. I live in the same little tiny town where I grew up. My husband and I moved away for about 12 years, but as often happens when you start filling your house with babies, (laughs) you want to get back home where those roots are. So we're back home in Missouri to the little town where we um, met and grew up. We live on a little farm with cows and sheep and rabbits and chickens and my husband likes to say we're raising boys more than anything else, which is true, but it's a good place to raise kids. That's amazing. Yeah, that's very good. I told you I grew up in Iowa, and so I always say it's a good place to be from. And, right? <laughs> um, and to leave, at least temporarily. Exactly, but we love getting back there uh, at least a couple times a year. We, But we live in Colorado now, and so it's just hard to leave those mountains, you know? The, yeah, there's less. Bet. We're all wanting to be where you are. Less humidity here, too. That's nice, but... Yeah. So what was it like growing up there? So I'm I'm imagining uh, Missouri is sort of, uh, you know, probably sort of Bible belty. I don't know if it qualifies as the Bible belt, does it? It's sort of. I think so I don't think we're in the buckle, but I think we're in the belt. So yeah, churches are common. Um, 
church life, a part of family life common. Um, I grew up in a home with a Christian mom and an unbelieving dad. Mm. That's still the story. My mom still follows Christ. My dad still does not. They're not married anymore. So yeah, I had church experiences. Um, I don't, didn't, didn't have a lot of reading the Bible for myself or didn't have an understanding of the gospel until um, I was a young woman, teenager. Mm, yeah. Okay. So how did that come about? What happened? Well, uh, we, my mom remarried and that man, my stepdad, Steve said, we're going to go to church. So grateful for that. So, um, I'm sure it was a difficult challenge for him because at the time my twin sister and I are the oldest, we were 15 and we had a 13 year old brother. So new (laughs) stepdad comes into the picture, drags the three teenagers to church. That's bravery right there. Right. I'm sure there were many eyes rolled. Um, and we went to church and the first Sunday we went to church, the youth pastor approached our family and said, Hey, we're leaving on a trip for Christ and youth tomorrow. Would your girls want to go? My parents said, yes. So the next day, my sister and I get on a bus with a bunch of kids we'd never met, take a 17 hour bus ride to this conference, Christ and youth. I'd never been to anything like it. Now it's like, I have a lot of frames of references for those kinds of things, but then I didn't. And the first night I felt like I could not stay in my seat, but I did because I didn't really know. I had no idea what the spirit was doing or who the spirit was or what was happening in my heart. But the next night, the pastor gave an opportunity to respond and I raced. I was up in the balcony and just raced to the bottom. And the pastor asked what I decision I was making. And I didn't have words to articulate it, but I needed Jesus. So you know, that's the moment. Yeah. I like to say that's the moment Jesus ruined my life in all the best <laughs> ways because there was, you know, everything I thought about the world, everything I planned for my own life, everything I thought about myself went out the window in that moment. And then there's the sanctification process of, yeah. you know, understanding all of that in the many years since. So that's been, I'll, I'll date myself a little bit here, but that's been 25 years ago. Okay. Very good. I haven't calculated it recently, but, uh, We've been doing this as this is let's see probably episode number two hundred fourteen or so, and uh, I'm let's see after about a hundred episodes we had like four thousand years of experience walking with the Lord so I'll add your twenty five let's yeah do add us up that'll be that'll be interesting okay what was it that you like you said you ran down there so like why what was it that you felt like oh I have to go like I just like I'm not gonna walk. I'm not gonna kind of sheepishly slink down to the, that's what I would have done like sleep slink down to the front. What, what was it that you made you want to go? I have to run down there. I I think it was in hindsight with some understanding of scripture and and how that works. I just think the spirit was compelling me. Mm. I did have tears. And as a mature believer, I can say those were tears of repentance of recognizing my true state before the Lord and knowing I needed him in my life. I had none of that language then. None of it. Yeah. I just knew that I was broken. And my family, I, there's a lot of brokenness in my family. And that was kind of the pinnacle year. So I was a broken hearted girl, truly broken hearted girl who kind of came face to face with my own brokenness. So it was probably a combination of I need somebody to help me because I'm dying here emotionally. Yeah. And just an understanding of my need for the Lord. And I did, I ran, you know, kind of like Mary Magdalene when she 
yeah. encountered the risen Jesus and she just ran towards the disciples to tell everybody about it. That was the feeling. And I came home and like called everybody I knew and didn't have language was like something happened. So oh wow. It was, it was dramatic for me. Yeah. How did those conversations go? Awkward. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, I don't know. Yeah. I there were, some people were excited. Yeah. My mom was eager. You know, she had been praying for that in my life for a long time and was so grateful. But there, you know, that was the summer before my freshman year. So think about what most freshmen in high school are thinking about and some dramatic experience with the Lord isn't top of mind. So I wouldn't say it was widely embraced or even that very many people cared, but it was really important to me. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Okay. So it sounds like you probably found a new church. You were, you're, I'm sure you, did you, I assume you went to that church after that. That sounds like you're probably pretty committed after that. Um, how did that, uh, how the discipleship process go for you? How, what, uh, you know, what did that look like through high school and then, and then beyond? Well, any of us who were teenagers in the nineties can remember kind of that youth ministry model. And it was everything that you remember. We were singing, Lord, I lift your name on high every week. And we were going to, what were those things where they would like break things with sledgehammers? I don't know. So there was a lot of like activity uh, around my youth group. A lot of DC talk concerts. Yeah. Oh yeah. Many DC talk, newsboys, all that stuff. So it's a little easy to trivialize it in hindsight, but it was really important to me. I felt like I found a place where I belonged and started to understand the concept of gifts and that I had gifts that God had given me and that I was supposed to use those. That's really a youth pastor who would let me teach sometimes. And Mm. that now I am a Bible teacher. I'm so grateful for that. So there was new weekly rhythms for sure. Um, that church was not in the same town as my little small town. And if you, you grew up in Iowa, so small town life doesn't always let you break out of who you've always been. That's who you are. And so I had this youth group in the other town where I could be this new creation really. Um, And it was, it was, I can't oversell how important it was. My own son is 12, my oldest. So he's just starting to go to youth group and I'm like, ah, It's so important. I'm so excited for all you're going to experience in the years ahead. Yeah. Boy, I love that. We really did have a cool youth group culture back then, didn't we? Like, I don't know if it's the same now, but it was was awesome. It was fun. Uh, That's amazing. Uh, Okay. So your, your leader let you teach kind of put, put you in that position. Did they say why? Like, did they just say they saw that teaching gift in you or was it, was there a, I wish I had a better memory. I wish I know who initiated that. I'm, I'm a go getter. So it could be that I asked. Mm, Yeah. Um, But I do remember at one point I was kind of reading a passage and it kind of came to life to me in a new way. And I was dialoguing with my youth pastor about that. And he said, you should teach it. You want to, you want to teach the next youth group? And, you know, I wasn't teaching on Sunday mornings to the whole church or anything like that, but he gave me opportunities in a really nice incubator to kind of yeah. explore those gifts and and see where I had chops and where I could have impact. And I'm so, so grateful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think even the opportunity to just develop that, right? Like that's so, so important for a young believer to have a chance to try out new things right. and see where your gifting is. Okay. What, uh, so 
Were there any, do you, do you happen to remember that passage or were there any other passages that you felt like as you were going, you don't have to remember that one. Sorry. But it, if that were kind of important to you as you were developing in the, in the Lord. Well, I do remember that one because oh, good. Um, I don't know if everybody had this experience, but for me, scripture before I came to Jesus was gobbledygook. I remember trying to read it and it making no sense, trying to be attentive to it and it just feeling totally foreign to me. So when I became a believer and my Bible started making sense, it was really exciting to me. Mm. And that passage was where Peter jumps out of the boat and goes toward Jesus. And again, I'm going to date myself here, but Forrest Gump was <laughs> the, the movie then. And there's this scene where um, Lieutenant Dan jumps out of the boat and he's doesn't have legs and he's kind of yeah. floating there. And it's this moment of kind of redemption for him. And to me, then I could visualize, oh, like, this is what Peter's doing. He's jumping out of his boat. Scripture says he's fully clothed. It's kind of like this Lieutenant Dan moment. And so that's what I was describing to my youth pastor, Barry. Of course, then he helped me make some connections beyond Forrest Gump when I taught it. But um, yeah, I think realizing that scripture is real, realizing that it matters in my life, and since coming to Jesus, that's been the quest. That's been the exciting part of the Christian life for me is reading my Bible and realizing it matters. It's light. It's life. It, it's the answers and still exciting to me. Yeah, that's amazing. Sounds like you had this sort of gift for connecting cultural or like just pictures with, with scripture and going, hey, this is how that's like. And, and which is a really great feature in a teacher. Yeah, the Lord deserves all the credit for that. But I think you're right. I think he has given me the ability to read even antiquated things that are culturally really foreign mm -hmm. and to use them as a lens over our own culture. And that's why scripture, and that's a really exciting part about scripture for me is to go, okay, this was written like at the dawn of time. And here it is 2020 and it matters because of this. And so, yeah, it's, it's fun. Yeah, that's cool. Okay. So where'd that take you or where, where'd you go from there? Well, uh, I had some, some years of trying to figure it out as all 20 somethings do. I had no concept of calling or ministry, none of that. So like Bible college wasn't even mm. an option in my mind. Didn't ever even consider it. So went to a big state school, wanted a job that would make me a lot of money. So uh, started in the dental hygiene program, which you don't know me well enough to know how off that would be for me, but <laughs> I just wanted a stable job that would make me money. Didn't do well in that program because it's not how my brain was. That, is that, uh, is that, I don't know how it is in Missouri, but where I grew up, that was like the goal, right? It was like everybody, you just have to get, grow up, get a decent job and then stay in it forever for 40 years right? or 50 years, right? That's it. Yeah, I was I was in graduate school before I knew I even had an option to not go to college. <laughs> I started meeting people in my mid twenties who didn't go to college and and still had beautiful lives, and I was like, "Well, this is not how I thought this could go." Right. So yeah, I just wanted a job that would make me money, and ended up studying public relations in undergraduate school, and I was walking with the Lord and growing in Him all that time. It wasn't like I was. Um, you know, off in yeah. rebellion, exactly, but but didn't have a concept of really how to live the Christian life or how to serve Jesus. Just went to school and then married the boy, and um, he 
was a youth pastor. So um, still married to the boy. That sounded ominous. He's just not a youth pastor anymore. <laughs> and, um, you know, started serving in my local church. And um, he was serving as the youth pastor, and which meant by default, I was helping with the girls in the youth group. And there just wasn't anything with any spiritual meat at all. And as young as I was in my walk with the Lord, I had this gut feeling that if I would give these girls deep spiritual food, they would eat it. And so I started writing Bible studies to teach the girls in my youth group because everything I found took what I call the bubblegum approach, which is like, let's talk about guys, friends, and God, and then everybody gets a tiara. Yay. <laughs> and um, I wanted them to have depth. So I just started studying and writing and teaching for that group of six or eight girls. And it was good. It was such formative years. I look back on those years with such fondness. Yeah. That's interesting. So it sounds like your, maybe your gift started to blossom as you were doing that. Yeah. Out of, and I think I, again, you know, I didn't have a lot of Christian ease. I'm not, I wasn't fluent in, I still hope I'm not fluent in it. I want to talk <laughs> like the people who don't know Jesus, but the ideas of calling and giftedness and, you know, ministry and all that stuff. I didn't have any of that in my brain. I just, wanted to have impact for Jesus. And so, and I knew the, I always knew the Bible was how you do that. Um, so yeah, that the Lord was growing me and yeah. training me. Although I don't know that he was training me for more. I think that could have been it, you know, just ministering in those lives that might've been the ultimate kingdom good that I'll ever do. So it wasn't exactly like I was climbing a kingdom ladder or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you were, you, it sounds like you were being faithful to one, you, you saw a need, you knew you could meet it and you'd met it. Right. right. And often the Lord rewards that. Right. He sees that and he's, Oh, that's good. Okay. You know, that there's a whole, I'm trying to remember which parable, like the talents, you know, that right. God, God does that. So, um, okay. Where'd that take you though? So then, so you start, you obviously didn't stop teaching. So like what, how did that keep going? I didn't. So Jason's my husband and he recognizes my gifts sooner than I do and kind of expects more of my gifts than I do. Like I would, I'd kind of keep everything on the low shelf, I think, and wouldn't think of myself as a teacher or any of that. But he really encouraged me and started telling people, my wife is this gifted Bible teacher, which is hilarious looking back because I really wasn't. But but he started telling people, other youth pastors, hey, you should have my wife come and teach your next girls event, or you should have my wife come and teach at your next women's event. And so people did. And so I went. I've always kind of had the philosophy that I'll never kick down a door, but if it opens, I'll walk through it. And so um, just started teaching more and more and more at small events, mid-sized events. I'd drive anywhere, anywhere anyone would let me teach the Bible. I'd go whether it was, you know, a GA Sunday school class and I'd drive eight hours to teach for 20 minutes or anywhere I could teach the Bible, I'd go. And I think, I think you're right. I think there is something to be said for faithfulness. There's that verse where scripture tells us that he who can be trusted with little can be trusted yeah. with much. I have that written on the bottom of all my laundry baskets. Cause if I can't be trusted to do my laundry <laughs> faithfully and with joy, the Lord better not give me anything else. But I think those were faithfulness. Okay. Seasons. Wait, wait. 
Is that product on your website? Because I need them right now. <laughs> it's not, but I have to rewrite it with Sharpies pretty regularly because it, you know, it wears out. But I'm like, if I grumble my way through caring for my family, I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't care for anybody else. So it's important. Oh man, that's amazing. I love that. Very and good. And I don't know. There was a series of events. I can't even untie the knot, really, that led to me publishing books. Yeah. And so I started publishing books. The same year I started having babies, so 2018 and, and or yeah, 2008, and um, published a lot of books, taught a lot of times, had a lot of babies. I'm in very fruitful years here. That's very good. Uh, have you had a time when the Lord felt far away from you? Oh, I've had many times when the Lord felt oh. far away. I don't think the Lord has, I know the Lord has never been far away. Um, I'm fond of saying feelings aren't facts. They're just feelings. So, but he certainly has felt far away. I I mean, seasons of suffering, I think that can frequently be true. And I can think of lots of those. We all have those. But I also think um, sometimes in seasons of really intense ministry, he feels far away because I can just get caught up in the doing. I say I'm not type A, I'm type double A. So like I'm an achiever. (laughs) I am a to-do lister. I am a go, 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 do, do, do. And it's hard to find the Lord in that mode. So I can sometimes often kind of push him out of my heart and consciousness. And then I get to the end of myself and go, oh, I did all that in my flesh and I haven't I haven't sat with the Lord. I haven't heard from the Lord. I haven't talked to the Lord in however many weeks. So I think that's a cycle for me pretty often of, of me pushing him out. How does that shape you? Well, it makes me aware of my need. Um, I can think I can lean pretty hard into self-sufficiency and think mm. I can do this, whatever this is. I've got the talent. I've got the time. I've got the resources. I can do it. And I might do the thing and I might even do it well, but at the end of it, there was no spirit in it. And so it reminds me how much I need him and how futile my things are. And I just, I need his voice really, really desperately every day. So I think the feelings, what it feels like when God feels distant, it feels lonely. It feels hollow. So, you know, I just have less and less tolerance for those feelings and I just am more and more willing to scrap the to-do and scrap the grind so that I can have him. So I think it maybe quiets me. It slows me. Mm. It makes me realize I'm not all that I think I am, which is ultimately for my good. Yeah. Is there a story about a season of suffering that really shaped you? Yeah, I can think of one. I'm not good with timelines, but I think it's been... Well, I have to think of it in terms of the births of my kids. So I was pregnant with baby number four. So maybe call it three years ago. I was pregnant. Um, I had the shingles, which if you've ever had the shingles, you know how awful that is. And I was pregnant, so I couldn't take any, anything, couldn't take anything. So I was in a lot of physical pain. And I said to my husband in the kitchen, there were some other things going on, but I can't remember what they were. But I said to my husband in the kitchen, I don't think things could get any worse, which we now can laugh about. And we've said, don't ever say that again. But, um, (laughs) and then Papa, which is my husband's grandfather. And just, we've all had grandparents die. It's always sad. 
this man was the patriarch in every way you can imagine of our family. And he died. And my husband's grief was so intense and so thick that I'll, I, my job became just holding everything else together. But I was very pregnant and I had shingles wow. and I was very sad myself, but didn't have anybody to really articulate that to. So I would in at night when everybody was asleep, I would tiptoe into the living room and scream into a pillow because I was in so much pain in every way you can imagine physical pain and emotional pain. Yeah. And in those moments, even though I knew God was near, I didn't feel it. It's not, you want, you want angelic messengers, right? You want, you want to feel him physically or see him with your eyes or hear him speak a word to you. And he doesn't, he didn't for me anyway. So I remember him feeling far off. I remember Job being a book that meant a lot to me in that season. And I'm not comparing my suffering with Job. That would be apples. That's what it's there for. It's okay. Right. That's but why I'm so it. glad it's in there because Job kind of spirals at one point, like, where are you? And are you listening? And do you see what's happening? And the Lord doesn't respond to him in the ways that I would want the Lord to respond yeah. to me. It's not like, I love you so much. You're my beloved child, which the Lord does elsewhere in scripture. But in that moment of suffering, he reminds Job of his sovereignty, which feels a little bit like salt in the wound, but if you don't have the sovereignty of God when you're suffering, you don't have anything. So I remember that as being, you know, a, a place of really yeah. important spiritual development, which suffering so often is for the yeah. child of God. But that one comes to mind. Yeah, I often say that suffering is the crucible that the Lord takes. He uses to refine us, right? And I'm, I know the people have used that, but like he, you know, heats up the gold, right? And takes out the dross and takes all that out. Right. Um, that's what, um, John of the cross, right. Calls the dark night of the soul. And right. he's like, God uses that to take out all the things that whatever we're leaning on or we want to do. Was there a specific thing you think that you learned or you, or you found that God was taken out of you in that season? It doesn't have to be, but I'm curious. Well, I think it's something I relearned, um, that there are two anchors that hold my life and that's that God is sovereign and God is good. Mm. And I, in the middle of that, I Googled, why do boats need two anchors? I don't know why I did that, but I did. And the answer was that a boat needs two anchors when it's in a storm, because if it's, in, you know, if it's still waters, one anchor will hold the boat just fine. But if you're up against winds and waves, you need two anchors to hold you to keep you from spinning out. And if I just believe God is sovereign, but I don't think he's good. He will seem mean because in that situation and lots of other ones, I, if I just thought he was in control, but he wasn't a good God, that'd be too painful. I just thought he was good, but I didn't think he was in control. Then he'd just be a teddy bear or a warm fuzzy who couldn't actually help me out of anything. And so those two anchors, you know, ultimately I just kind of dropped anchor spiritually and emotionally speaking. Like I hate this. I want out of this. I don't like any of this. I don't see a way out, but you're good and you're sovereign. And I ended up riding on my feet with Sharpies, an anchor on each foot mm. because I was getting ready to deliver baby number four. And there was some craziness with that birth and that child. He's okay. But, um, and I just needed a daily reminder on my feet 
he's good, he's sovereign, he's good, he's sovereign, he's good, he's sovereign, he's good, he's sovereign. And I've revisited that, those two anchors over and over and probably will my whole life. Yeah, wow. That's really powerful. I think so many of us struggle with one or both of those, right, <laughs> at, a, at certain times. And uh, that's that's what I think suffering is for. But it also, it's good to remember. Those are, those are good reminders. I like that. Yeah. I think often we think he's good, but we question if he's good to us individually. And if he's good, he's good. If he's good, he's good to you and he's good to me. And it's hard to see the good when you're suffering. But you're right. It it is the crucible, like nothing else. I mean, prosperity can't refine yeah. us like that, and wealth can't refine us like that. So, yeah, I still struggle with that, but it's in the Bible, and I know it's true. He's good and he's sovereign, and that'll get you through hard stuff if you're anchored to those. Two yeah, things. yeah, hundred percent. Boy, I love that. Okay, um, let's talk. So, so you've been writing, and did you, you? I know you said there was like a whole series of events, but did you ever imagine you'd write books? I did. You did. Actually, um, as a little girl, I that's what I wanted to do. Who gets to do what they want to do in their little girl? But if you pull out my, like my first grade, my second grade, my third grade stuff, and it says, what do you want to be when you grow up? Mine always said writer. And then my freshman year of college, I was in a gen ed class, probably the first week of college. And we were all saying what we wanted to do. And I said, I want to be a freelance writer, which is what I am now. But the professor said, good luck. Yeah. Nobody takes it at that. And that was enough to deter me for like eight years. Yeah. That's the power of our words to build up uh, or tear down. But I I had lots of other jobs. Um, I was a newspaper reporter for a while, which I'm grateful for that experience. I was a journalism teacher at a high school. But again, Jason saw the gifts before I did. And he said, I think you should quit your teaching job. And I think we should make a go at you teaching and writing. So we did. And for like a year, I sat in this adorable office he made for me. No one called. No one wanted me to write anything. I had no ideas for books. I was barely traveling to teach. It was excruciating. Mm. Um, But here I am. That sounds like a crucible of its own. It was a crucible of its own. I can picture almost every inch of that office because I would just spend days staring at the walls. Like, what am I doing? What am I doing with my life? Why did I quit my job? I'm not a writer. I'm not a teacher. What was I thinking? But, uh, but, but that's all this doubt, right? That you have to go through, I think, to, to find uh, your really where your gifts lie and, and how you're going to go after it. You've, right. you've got to do all that. Yeah. Well, I think it, it has to cost us something now. I hate to compare the cost for me with, I mean, our brothers and sisters are truly suffering yeah. around the world. Jesus. And I'm talking about how hard it was to sit in my cute air conditioned office. So I, I temper this, but there was a cost. There was a, will you give up your steady paycheck? Will you give up what other people think of you? Will you walk on what I call the tightrope of terrified obedience, which is like, I don't know where I'm going. I'm scared, but I'm following you, Jesus. So will you stay on that path where, the word of God maybe lights your feet for a day or an hour, but certainly not for a decade. And so part of that was, you know, paying, paying the cost a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Okay. Well, I want to talk about your, this latest book. Is this your latest book? This is just came out, right? Seven feasts. Why this one? Because I'll tell you, I want to tell you why I'm really interested in this. Okay. So one, I told you I'm a biblical studies student. So 
you know, got, got a degree in biblical studies. I'm always interested in that kind of thing. But I had a friend who in seminary, um, who he's, who's much older than me, but he was a messianic. Well, he went to a messianic Jewish congregation. I don't think he was Jewish, but, and he would always ask me, I'm in seminary, right? I'm in, I'm getting a master of divinity. I know theology better than most people. Right. And he right. says, Eric, why, you know, why don't they teach you at your evangelical seminary, how Jesus fulfills the feasts? Mm. And I was like, I don't, I don't know, Vic. I don't know. Bro. <laughs> <laughs> I was in my twenties and I was like really intimidated by that. So yeah. Why, why this, why this book? Well, first of all, I'm envious of your master's in divinity. I someday, <laughs> Someday I'll get some formal training because well, I'm just figuring it out. Well, let's talk about cost. So okay, yeah, I'll, right. I'll share all that with you. Somebody's not, gonna send me for free. I not that. just financial. There's there was a lot more to that, but I'll tell you about I'm it later. Sure. I'm sure. Well, I uh, served on staff at my own church, that church where I came to Jesus um, for several years as the women's ministry director, and I was always trying to get women to love the Old Testament. Really, my whole job description should have been get women to read the Bible. Because, you know, we're talking about, and this is in every church, it's not unique to my church, we're talking about women who have walked with the Lord for years, for decades, who had no regular interaction with scripture for themselves, We're not reading the Bible. And, you know, that's, you just can't be a fruitful Christ follower that way. And so I really was always just trying to get women to love and read their Bibles. That was the whole job. And specifically, I was always trying to get them to love and read the Old Testament. Because what I was hearing a lot is, you know, I re- I love Ephesians and Galatians. I just can't get into the Old Testament. Or I might read a proverb a day, but that's all I read in the Old Testament. Or I'm trying to read through the Bible in a year, but man, I'm in the Old Testament. It's just drudgery. Or I don't, or they couldn't reconcile the God of the New Testament with the God of the Old Testament. So that was very confusing to them. Yeah. They thought it was two different, a schizophrenic God. And so I was always, always, always trying to get women to understand that all of the Bible mattered and it all connected. It all told the redemptive story of God for his people. And so I was in a kind of a brainstorming meeting like that with my leadership team. And I said, for our fall event, I want to focus on something obscure in the old Testament. And one of my leaders said, what about the feasts? I didn't know where they were. I didn't know what they were. I was like, where are the feasts? (laughs) And so I began to study them for myself. They're in Leviticus 23. So right there, Leviticus yeah. made a turn off for a lot of people. Um, but they are so, so, so rich. So that event, we ended up doing like an experiential journey through the seven feasts. And we did all these cool stations and it was a hit. And we created this little booklet that just walked them through that journey. Now, don't let me, don't let me oversell it. It was like just a few thoughts run off on the church copier. It wasn't that fancy, but it was pointing them to the gospel from the seven feasts. And I heard, got a lot of positive feedback then. Jason, again, my husband was like, well, this is a future book in you. He always thinks that about things. I never think that. And, um, but two years later, a woman stopped me in the lobby of the church and told me she was still using that little booklet in her daily Bible reading time. She was still in Leviticus 23, two years later. And I thought, on something there's something here and i'm the lord did it i mean he he so masterfully wrote the feasts into scripture and it you don't have to be a bible 
scholar to connect them to the Gospels. Once you start wanting to connect the feast to the Gospels, for me, it's just been so fascinating, so enlightening. So it makes me want to find other little gold nuggets embedded in the Old Testament, which was the goal. So I have spent a long time studying the feast, spent a lot of time with a Jewish rabbi. He's not a Messianic Jew. He's a Jewish rabbi. Um, and we've spent a lot of time talking about Passover specifically. But it's just opened my eyes to, uh, again, how all of scripture points to Jesus. It's all about the gospel. And you're your friend from seminary is right. Um, Jesus did fulfill the seven feasts and much of what we know, like um, Jesus's death, burial, resurrection, all happened on the feasts. The sending of the Holy spirit happened on the feast. And so the timeline that we know from the new Testament just lays right on top of these feasts in a way that's right. Right. And that's the really interesting thing. Um, you know, we, we know the word Pentecost and we think of it as the day the Holy Spirit came, but that's right. true, but it's not the whole story, right? The Pentecost is its own thing <laughs> that, right. that we need to learn about. And and maybe there's some meaning to that as well. Yeah. Pentecost means 50. And that's how many days the Israelites were to count between two of the feasts. And so, um, and just like the disciples had to wait between the ascension and the coming of the Holy Spirit, all of that lines up uh, with the seven feasts. And there's, there's many, I almost said a million, there's not a million, but there's many, many intersections like that between the New Testament and the feasts. And it's just so exciting to connect those dots. And it does give you a depth of understanding that just only enriches our faith. And it makes mm-hmm. us love God more because we think, oh, man, he was doing this way back here in Leviticus um, and he's still doing it. So it's really exciting. Yeah. Is there so what's what's like one or two things that you learned studying the feasts that surprised you? Well, I go back to my rabbi friend. His name's Rabbi Lane. And the way I met him is that I called every synagogue in 150 mile radius and asked them if a rabbi would meet with me to talk about the seven feasts and he was the only one who called me back. I thought I was kind of getting bottom barrel rabbi, but I didn't. I actually got this brilliant, brilliant man who has multiple degrees in Hebrew. He loves the Torah as much, or maybe more than I know the Bible. And um, we met one day at Starbucks and I said to him, um, rabbi Lane, Christians don't read Leviticus. And he said, well, that's odd. And he handed me his Torah and he said, open it to the middle. And so I did. Well, in the Torah, Leviticus is centrally located. And he said, we believe it's that important. And he said, your whole belief system is based on the sacrificial system. And that all comes from Leviticus. So the fact that you're not reading it doesn't make sense to me. That's a problem. Yeah. So a huge light bulb there. He put into words what I had been sensing about why I was bothered that women weren't reading the Old Testament. They were missing an essential part of the story. So I don't know that that surprised me, but it solidified it for me. He told me that in his congregation, or I'm not sure what they call it, but in his synagogue, young five-year-old Jewish boys memorized the book of Leviticus. And I was like, I can't get my boys to memorize their math facts, (laughs) much less the book of Leviticus. So I don't know, it just 
ignited a fire in me for the book of Leviticus and for the old Testament, but I'll share another insight he gave. Um, he was so rich, but we were talking about the Passover and I said, Rabbi Lane, this is so clearly about the gospel to me. And yet you don't see the gospel. And he said, I said, what do you see? He said, well, it's a birth story. I was like, what do you mean? He said, well, the plagues were like contractions. They came and they went and they grew in intensity. He said the Israelite moms and dads knew that they were going to have to leave with their family. So they put their bags by the door, but they didn't know when. Just like when you're waiting for a baby to arrive. He said, and then it was time to go. And he said, the parting of the Red Sea is like the breaking of the waters when a woman's water breaks. And then they walk through that birth canal. And I was like, how did I never see that before? <laughs> now that's not strictly from the seven feasts, although they observed the Passover. Um, but then I said, well, Rabbi Lane, if that's true, it was a rebirth because they were already the nation of Israel. They were born with Abraham. So then we talked about Nicodemus. And again, I'm like, it's the gospel. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. But that was one of those light bulb moments for me. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good insight. Um, definitely. And that, that is the kind of insight that a rabbi will give you, right? Like that's, the, right. that's what, uh, cause they've been thinking about this for like 4,000 years at least. So right. we, <laughs> and they've been telling that story at their tables with yeah. their families over and over and over. And so there's just a richness to it that we don't get if we read it once a year or less. Right. Right. Very cool. I think that's really interesting. What are you hoping that this book does? Well, I hope it helps women or anybody. I hope it helps people fall in love with their whole Bibles. Um, I hope it, it is always true. I think for the people of God, that the more we love our Bibles, the more, the more we know our Bibles, the more we love them. I don't think it can work in the life of the Christ follower that we're reading our Bible more and loving it less. Um, so, you know, I just, want people to read their Bibles um, and love it. And I hope they walk away from the seven feasts going, man, if that was there all this time and I didn't know how rich that was, what else is there? But I, I also hope somebody who doesn't understand the gospel walks away with an understanding of the gospel. I think it's totally possible to be a Christ follower and not have a real clear understanding of the gospel. I know that because every time I teach, if it's in a group that it's possible, I ask the people to articulate the gospel and most cannot. And that's part of that's because it's supernatural and it's big and it's hard to understand, but it's because we're just rusty and understanding what first woo does to Jesus. And so if people can articulate the gospel more clearly, that would be a huge win for me. Yeah. I love that. Very good. I'm, I'm convinced that we, if we're just reading the Bible, to read it for the information, right? And there's a lot of really good, there's, I think there's times in the journey when reading the Bible in a year are, is really good, right? It's right. going to, it's going to help you. There's times in the journey when that will hinder you. Right. right. And I think the, the sort of um, idea of we have to just, you know, dig in, dig in, dig in um, sometimes, um, you know, sometimes stunts our growth. I would, I would go so far as to say, but, I think a study like this to dig into a chapter about what God's doing with these things. And how do we see the Lord here? How do we see Christ? I love, that's why I love your subtitle, finding Christ in the sacred 
celebrations of the Old Testament. That's because that's it, right? When you right. can see how that God, the God who gave these feasts, like there's a really good reason. God is so good with rhythm, right? He's just really good with, I know what you need. This is why I gave you the Sabbath. This is why I gave you these days to go back and forth. And they had to travel, right? They had to go all tell these and that's that takes planning, you know. You have to you have to do that. So it's a big part of your year to go, um, you know, and then to realize that that's who God is. And then you have to ask some questions. Why? Anyway, I I can go on and on about that. But that's yeah, uh, yeah. the the rhythms thing is what it's about. I mean, right? We don't. You don't walk. I hope you don't walk away from this Bible study or from even studying that chapter without the study and go, oh, I'm supposed to start observing the Feast of Weeks. Oh, right. this is I'm supposed to reinstitute the day of atonement that's what this is about that's not what it's about not for us but it is about what rhythms has god given you in your life to remember him to worship him because that's what the feasts were he was giving them a calendar right which they needed because they've been enslaved and their days had been totally determined for them and now they just had open-ended feels a little like the coronavirus (laughs) open-ended days and weeks with nothing to know what to do he's like here's the calendar and here's what's going to help you remember me. That's how we can apply the seven feasts. Yeah, hundred percent. I love that. Okay, so the book is called Seven Feasts: Finding Christ with, or Finding Christ in the Sacred Celebrations of the Old Testament. Guys, you can get that. It's in the show notes at halfwaytherepodcast.com. You can get it wherever you get great books. Put out by Moody, uh, which is great. Um, special thanks to them for connecting us. I appreciate that. Um, your website. Where's your website? AaronDavis.org. There you go, AaronDavis.org. So go check that out, my friends. Um, that's, I think, is there anything you want to leave us with, Aaron? Uh, you're fun to talk to. Anybody who <laughs> knows and loves scripture is fun to talk to. And I love your emphasis that we're on a journey. We are. So I'm far from arrived on anything we've talked about, but that's, that's taking me home. That's Soon, it. I hope. We're all just halfway there. Thanks a lot, Aaron. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.